Romans 1:18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those which are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The word of the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. All right. Well, if you got your Bibles, uh, open them. We're going to be in the book of Romans. Uh, for those of you that haven't been around here, we just started about, uh, I guess, five weeks ago studying through the book. I took four weeks for an intro, and like I promised you, uh, while the intro might have taken four weeks, we're not going to take five, six, seven years to go through this book, but we are going to take our time a little bit, kind of walking through the book of Romans. And so if you need a Bible, uh, feel free to raise your hand. Uh, somebody will bring it to you. I see that hand over there. I feel like I'm about to have a revival. I see that hand. You know? <laughs> but uh, anyways, if you need a Bible, we'll bring it to you. Open up to Romans 1, and uh, we're going to be in verse 18 today. Now, where we've been trying to go, and this is very important where we're going this morning, is that Paul, in the book of Romans, in 1, 1 through 17, has laid out this amazing reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of which he is not ashamed, of which he sees within it the reality of the only way in a world that's gone wrong that God is going to make things right. God is going to take that which has been twisted and marred by sin and rearrange it in the way that he intended from the very beginning, and the way that he's going to do it is through what Paul calls the gospel. Now, the way that we talk through the gospel, maybe it was not what you have exactly heard before in regard to the gospel, because generally when we think about the gospel, we think about ourselves. But the one thing I hope you saw is that the gospel is not first about us. 
The gospel is first and foremost about the person of Jesus Christ. That's where the gospel begins with phenomenal effects on who we are. So don't get me wrong. We come into this, but the gospel is first and foremost about Jesus as Paul works through a book like the book of Romans. Now, in what he's going to do today, which is so important to where we're going to be talking about, is he's going to begin to talk about the idea for which humans were created, or let me put it this way, the intent for which humans were created, but the wrong way in which humans went. So when we talk about humanity, we think about the fact that we were created to know God, we were created to love God, we were created to worship God, we were created to serve God. And in that, this is what I would say, this is what a healthy relationship with God looks like. This is what God intended when he created an atmosphere for humanity to flourish. But we also know within that, that humanity is not right. And when we were laying out this idea of an intro, there's a rhythm to which God has created this world. There's a, a flow, a melody to which he's created it. And when sin hit this world, it threw the rhythm off, it threw everything off, even to the point where now sin infected and affected the entire universe. And so with it now, we're gonna see, well, how does it now that God brings about a salvation or how does he bring about right things? Now this summer, one of the things I was so excited to do was to take my kids to Montana. I was speaking at something up there and I remember telling my children, I can't wait to show you the forest and all the trees and everything that is beautiful. And on my way there, I remember reading an article about this infestation that had got into the forest from the pine beetle. Now, if anybody's ever seen a pine beetle before, it looks like a pretty who cares creature. But one of the things about this creature is you get enough of them within a forest, and I don't know if you can tell it, but can it start to kill a forest? Now, I'd heard about it, but it wasn't until we started to pull in right around Yellowstone National Park that my kids began to go, this is ugly. And in a weird way, I started to get very mad at that little beetle. Why? because it had killed the intent for which I wanted my children to see this thing. I wanted them to see the beauty and the grandeur of this forest. I wanted them to be blown away by it. I wanted them to see Yogi Bear as he robbed sandwiches. I wanted my children to see the greatness and the grandness of what God has done. And that stupid beetle that's sitting in front of us right now had the audacity to climb into trees and to ruin things. And the intent to which now that we were able to see these trees was marred by it. And when we asked the question, and here's the thing, why is the wrath of God coming? is because into all of humanity, this is gonna be Paul's argument, has climbed something more insidious than a pine beetle, is that the defiance of humanity, humanity daring to stand in opposition and rebellion against God has crept into all of humanity and has marred his creation and our God is wrathful. Now I think sometimes we think of the word wrath and we think of off the handle, we think of someone that is capricious, we think of someone who in some way can't control themselves, but that's not God. God, when he looks at humanity and the intent for which he has created, and let me say this, the intent that he has as he is recreating, as he's moving us further and further along towards new creation, is our God hates sin. 
He hates it to the extent that whereby which, like in this forest that we were talking about, one of the things that's going to come upon this forest at some point because of this beetle kill is a fire. And we know this looking at the Bible that God's wrath right now is being stored up in such a way, but it will sometime land upon all of creation, including all of humanity. And this wrath boils itself towards those who stand in rebellion against him. Is that when Paul says it's wrath, it's not going to be explained away. It is really what it is. Our God will not stand for anything other than what he intends to do. Now, on one level, we hear that and we go, oh, gosh. But I'll tell you what, that's why it's so incredible to say Jesus saves. This is at the core of it. And Paul, walking this through, he's wanting us to understand that while the pine beetle has come in and killed it, God is coming along and in a powerful way, in an absolutely, I would say, almost ludicrous way of taking that was in rebellion against him and that which is so disordered and that which is so not right. And when Jesus Christ was died, when he died, was buried, and he rose again, most people didn't realize it, but he rose again and intends to fix everything. All things will be righted because of Jesus Christ. Thank you. You can even go, woo, woo, if you want. I'm really great with that. Or amen, or there you go. All right, here we go. And whatever you said, yes, amen. But what's so crazy, though, is to understand it, is it's not just that humanity has had the audacity in any way to leave God's created intent, but in verse 19 through 20, we start to understand that humanity, by suppressing the truth out of verse 18, we start to understand, has almost explained away the true God. So it's not just that God now has wrath because his created intent inside of humanity was is that they would know him and love him and worship him and serve him, but it's also that humanity had the audacity to turn their backs on God and in a unique way to shame the very God of the universe by turning their back on him and in turning their back on him to disregard the very one for whom they were created. And so we start to see that God's wrath isn't just capricious, it isn't just something that is kind of him out of control, but it is the audacity of that which he created beginning to slowly turn him into something that is not, even though he is the only great one, the God of the universe. Paul's just writing this, helping us to understand Verse 20, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they were without excuse. The greater audacity was this. It's what we talked about. There's a story that's going on and the main character is God and humanity has had the audacity to take God, who's the creator of all things, and remove him as the main character. In fact, in Jeremiah 2, the question is, who does that? Who in their right mind would take the creator of the universe, remove him from his rightful place as the main character? But Paul keeps going here in verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were dark and claiming to be wise, they became fools. And look at this. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. Not only did they remove him out, but then they took that which was created and they put that into the place that only God deserves. Why is God angry? Because humanity has had the audacity to do this. Jeremiah and Jeremiah 2 would say, who does that? 
it comes back to what we were talking about. Is that then from that particular point, the moment then that humanity decides we're not going to live in the way God intended us, we're going to take God out of the picture by turning our backs against him, replacing him with something else, then we begin to find salvation in anything other than him. We begin to, and this is the way we talked about, we begin to try to figure out how to right the world. The world knows the world isn't right. This week I was sitting there and I was sharing Christ with a particular man that was talking about just the decay of this world and the fact that he, he wants to move. He told me to Wyoming. And I said, I'm from Wyoming. Who wants to move to Wyoming, man? I'm like, do you understand? And the wind was blowing. I go, do you feel the wind today? And he goes, yeah. I go, it's like this almost 365 days out of the year where I'm from. And he looks back at me and he goes, I just want out of here. And I looked at him and I said, why? He goes, because it's, and here's his words, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't. It's not right. Every fabric of this universe from the smallest to the largest thing is not right. When humanity had the audacity to rebel against God, everything went that way. And the saddest thing in the world is then humanity in the back of our heads takes and creates gods, whether of land or sky or sea, those of old, and begin to think, this will save me, to which God says, you've got to be kidding me. And while we don't think in our little world somehow that we're a group of people that would ever worship wooden eyes, idols. Oh, but we worship other things that are a little bit more insidious and a little bit more nuanced because we still want safety. We still want comfort. We still want security. We still want money. We still want power. We still want prestige. We still want sex. And when you put all these things together, we begin to think those things will save us. And looking at this guy trying to tell him, listen to me, homeboy, Cheyenne, Wyoming will not save you. So he tells me, well, then maybe I'll go to Texas. <laughs> I said, well, that's maybe getting closer, but still not there. It's just God in heaven looked down amongst his creation. And it's this audacity of humanity to find hope and security and safety. And if you think that you're not someone who does it, we all do it. This is going to be Paul's point once he gets into chapter 2, is even the religious people, the people of God, the people of Israel, he's going to say to them, you who judge and look down upon the world, you do the same exact thing. But when we ask the question, why does God's wrath come? It's because of that. But then look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies. In other words, if you're going to take and put me back there and exchange me for a wooden idol, I will now exchange your glory that I gave to you, a glory that when I created you, you were intended to be kings and queens, to rule with me on this world. And if you want that, fine. I will give you over to what you want. And the saddest thing in the world, look at this. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they begin to then worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. You want that? I'll let you. Go get it. See, this is the thing that God's never afraid to do. He's never afraid to say, if that's what you're going to find your honor in, if that's what you think is going to save you, if that's where it's at, then you know what? Have it. 
It's the saddest thing in the world to think about. And again, from our standpoint, is that then what begins to come from that? Verse 26, for this reason then God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Watch this. Now, not only is it the way we think, not only is it now the way that we then find our passions, but then the way we live. Their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And, and, and look at this. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women. We're going to get to this here in a little bit. And we're consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty of their error. In other words, if you want it, go get it. Go have it. And the history of humanity is just that. Now we tend to think things are getting worse and worse and worse. Well, if you know anything about history, this time at which Paul's writing, it wasn't exactly happiness. At this particular time, man, there was a guy named Nero. If you know anything about Nero, not exactly a, a good dude. He might have invited the Jewish people back into this town, but one of the things that he began to institute in which the powerful and the privileged begin to do is begin to what we call human traffic, and not only human traffic to take care of things around the house, but they begin to human traffic young boys and girls to bring them into their homes to do terrible things, things that you can't even talk about within this room and what they did to them. They didn't do it then in private. They didn't do it on the dark web. They didn't do it where anyone couldn't see. This was a time in which they flagrantly in front of anybody would get to this low point at which they would even do this, even in front of the whole world. The world is not getting worse. The world is just as worse as it can possibly be at all times. Paul is crying out to these people. Do you want to know why the wrath of God is coming? It's this. It's the audacity of humanity to choose to walk away from this amazing role that was given to them as kings and queens joining God in his reign and rule on earth, taking him and removing him as the main character and putting in some created thing. And the only thing that then ever comes from that is people start to live out then their desires. And Paul says humanity, given its, given its longing, will always degrade itself to the bottom. And he's not done. Look at verse 28. He says, And since then now they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. In other words, go get it. Verse 29, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. It's almost like he goes to the kitchen sink and he just starts throwing anything that he can think out there. And in the midst of all of it, if you don't fall into one of these categories, then you're not living. He just says, this is what starts to happen. The way I would say it, it's the world that's gone wrong once you remove the main character. The main problem of all of humanity is not the things that we see around us. The main problem of what we talked about, even down in Mexico, is not the house that they have or whether or not they have water or electricity or walking through all of Los Angeles and seeing the homeless. Because in some ways, the thing we have to come to grips with here in Simi Valley is if God could peel back our vision for just a little bit and the places we see are so terrible, I just wish sometime we could see through God's eyes in Simi Valley to see how devastatingly awful it is because of sin here. 
I wish I could take some of you with me to Wyoming that you think, oh, Wyoming's where I want to go. It is just as devastated there as it is here. It is just as devastating in Idaho and Texas. It's just as devastating in Africa. It's just as devastating on every continent there is in the planet because the problem is not the place. The problem is the people. We are desperate for God. And when we remove that main character, what the world looks like is God now begins to do this and he allows us to pursue our own ends of distorted thinking and darkness of heart and deceptive actions is that evil comes in like that pine beetle and begins to infest anywhere that it is and all of humanity and creation begins to devolve itself. And this is the way I think Paul is putting it. It becomes a foretaste of hell or what's coming behind it. This is where our world is. And what's crazy is that humanity can even begin to applaud and encourage. This is what verse 32 is all about. We turn our backs on God. We shame him. We cause him to lose face in some way. And God then gives us over to our shame in this little moment. We begin to create our own little hell at that time. And in the middle of all of it, we think we're just fine. Let me just say this to you. I think one of the most dangerous places on the planet is in the United States of America because we think we're fine. And if you haven't heard this before, we're not. We're not fine. We can hide it with our cars and our houses. We can hide it with, our, with the internet. God help us. We can hide it in all kinds of ways. But we, just like everywhere else, have removed God. And when you remove it, watch out. Now, in some ways, it's like, I want to almost just pray and say, come back next week. Because in some ways, I wanted us just to kind of feel it for a second for a week but there's good news see part of what we have to do and what part of what Paul's doing here is is how we define the problem determines how we try to solve the problem if we don't know what the right problem is then what happens is we begin to solve it in wrong ways so in other words and again it's just to kind of talk about what we did down in Mexico if all we do is go down there and give people water and electricity a place to live and all those other things not that those are bad things in the least but if we don't go down there with a solution to the greatest problem of all time our rebellion against God then all we're doing in a weird way which I feel like oftentimes happens when Christians try to do nice things is we give people a pillow on their way to hell we have to go down and begin to show them the greatness and the goodness of who this God is. That he was the reason for which you were created, the one for whom you were created. Now going back to verse 21, and this is where I want to go back to this, I want you to see something in this. That the main cause for this, and, and, and look at this, is not now our, our, our thinking alone. It's not now our affections or our desires alone. It's not our actions alone. But I believe that the main problem that he's trying to argue here is a main character issue, which is that the main problem around the world is we worship the wrong one or the wrong thing. 
So in other words, when you look down there, you see there that they're futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. But what's the result of it? The result comes because they did not honor God or give thanks to him. That's why they begin to think wrongly. That's why they begin to have their hearts that were darkened. So in other words, in the 80s and 90s, some of you grew up at that time and some of you are much older and some of you are much younger. But we begin to tell ourselves that the way that we're going to fix the problems in the world is more education. We thought that somehow by our human reason that things would get made better, but the problem is all we did was educate people more so that they could learn to do evil in greater ways. There's nothing wrong with education, but education that does not have God as its focal point will always devolve itself into something that doesn't matter. We also now are probably the most psychologized culture to ever exist in the world. And do I see a place for counseling? Of course I do. Man, all of us are messed up. We should probably all in some form be in counseling in some way. But we can change desires and motivations only if they find their home in the right thing. If the wrong character is not put in place, our passions will continue to go the wrong way. My, my grandpa used to say this when he would always talk about it. He'd say, Todd, you are all over the place like a compass in a room full of magnets. <laughs> but I feel like that's where we are. We're just all over the place. Why? Because our compass was made to point due north towards Jesus. This is where Paul's trying to get to. This is the solution. In verse 22, we can then enter into a form of deception in which now humanity gets to the point where they think we're smart, but actually we've become fools. Our huge default as humanity is to not keep God in his rightful place. We're not right on any level. Our thinking is off. Our cravings and satisfaction are off. Our actions are off. But the primary reality in verse 25 tells us why because we've exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is the issue. Let me, let me just bring it to kind of a, a close on this. If this is the problem, that means we're not first thinking beings and we're not first emotional or even passion beings. We're not first action beings. At the core of everyone that you run into, who they are is they're worshiping beings. That's who they are. Every human was designed to worship. And when God is not the focal point of that worship, it will find its home somewhere else. And oh, have we found it in all kinds of different places. But now all of a sudden, do I believe that God has to change minds? Yes, because in the book of Romans, he's going to come along and he's going to tell us, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your minds so to be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Is he after the mind? You better believe he's after the mind. He's going to begin then to talk in chapter 2 and even to chapter 5, the heart. Is he after the heart? He's after the heart because in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, he promised us that the role of the new covenant was to take this hard heart and remove it and place within us this heart of flesh that now no longer sees this world as created things to be worshipped, but the creator that's created all these things for us to worship him. Is he going to change our actions? Yes. The whole promise of both Romans 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 is he doesn't just intend to change our mind. He doesn't just intend to change our heart. He's going to change all of us. 
but he's going to do it so that we see him. Now, here's my huge fear. My huge fear when we come to verse 26 is we as Christians now, we sit down and we do what the Jews did with those that, let's just say in this case, Paul gives us an example of homosexuality. That we tend to go after the symptom. The symptom here is people that are, in this case, he defines it out as homosexual. To the Jews, they were disgusting. To Nero, he was this one that practiced terrible things around cult prostitution, even sex slavery by the powerful. And again, all of those things in and of themselves, are they evil? Yes, but they're not the height of sin, but the twisting of God's intent, the removing of God, the replacing him with something else. The world's not getting worse. He's just trying to show us an example out there of a symptom of a greater problem that these people don't worship God. But I feel like sometimes within the church, when we look at those within the LGBTQ community, we think of ourselves as better than them. We're not better than them. They're just worshiping the wrong thing. That's what the problem is. The solution is Jesus Christ and the transformation of their lives, but they are not like the Jews at this time saw them as disgusting. Are you kidding me? These beautiful people are created in the image of God and apart from the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ, I get it, they'll be like every other human, including some of all of us that sit in this room what we used to be. It's looking at the people in all of society. It's looking at the homeless. It's looking at those that are south of our border or north of our border, those stinking Canadians. It's just looking across our world and starting to see people as created in the image of God and in dire need because they are worshiping the wrong thing. And we have within us a gospel to which Paul found no shame because Jesus had bore his shame and instead had given him honor. We have that message. We should be saying, shut up, or amen, whichever comes first. We have it. We have the answer. Now, for any of you, and again, I pick a lot on people moving, but I read over and over again, 70% of the people in California, if they could move, would move. Did you know that? And I don't blame people. Who? I feel like this is a ship going down, right? And it's like... Get off now with the rest of the rats. You know, let's go, let's get off. But what if we're thinking wrongly through that? What if actually this is exactly where God wants us to be? What if this is exactly the time to which he put us here? What if this world that's careening and falling apart, that's no longer living in the way that God intended them, that has taken him and removed him and instead replaced them with other created things that is now devolving itself into a humanity that is looking less and less human all the time. What if actually we're supposed to stay here and be the triumphant church? What if God didn't create us to run? What if God created us to stay? 
What if God called us to be something special and unique, that in the midst of the darkness we become a city on the hill, a light to the nations, these ones now that proclaim the greatness and the goodness of Jesus Christ, not because of anything on us, not because we're special, nothing along those lines at all, but because Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, has reached into our life and transformed us and made us into the people he intended us to be. And what if this world, as it gets darker and darker, actually the church begins to shine brighter and brighter because of it and we begin to see a revival like we've never seen and we might miss it because we move I mean don't you want to be where the action is man I think of any time for the kingship of Jesus to be proclaimed of any place for it to be proclaimed. We are the church. We're the people of God. We're a chosen race, a royal people. We're the temple of the living God of stones built together to declare the greatness of God. Now, if God calls you to go somewhere else, man, God bless you. I I do believe that. But before everybody runs out of here, What if he's asked us to stay and be the church? Now, here's what I want to do. On your chair is a three-by-five card. Let me fast forward. And here's what I want you to do on that three-by-five card. I'm going to invite the band up, and they're going to play a little bit. But I'm going to give you a little bit of time to do something. I'm going to throw this out there. What if we're wrongly seeing the problem? So let me throw this as a question to you this week. And then what we're going to do is we're going to write on our little pieces of paper. I've got tape underneath all the window wells. So anytime you go on the window wells, and what I want you to do is I'd love for you to answer one, two, or three, or four of these questions while the band kind of plays a little bit. But ask yourself the question, how do we wrongly see the problem? How do we wrongly seek to fix the problem? In other words, we might seek to fix the problem through education. We might seek to fix the problem through um, uh, running off somewhere. We might seek to fix the problems through whatever. Or what are you afraid of or what makes your heart break? Um, This week, to be honest with you, um, my heart was breaking as I look into a sin-filled world. Um, How do you wrongly look upon sinful people around you? Do you have biases or things that keep you from it? Because next week, we're going to bring these things to the surface a little bit, but the next few minutes are all yours to kind of wrestle through these problems. I'd like you to write them down. You don't have to put your, your name on it. We will be taking pictures so we can chase you down afterwards. Just kidding. Write down on it, and when you're kind of all done with a piece of paper or tape, go tape it on the wall. And what we're going to do is we're going to use those pieces of paper for next week, all right? So everybody with me? All right, the next few moments are all yours just to kind of reflect through that in light of what we preached on this morning.